Welcome to season two of the podcast, A Brave Writer's Life in Brief. I'm Julie Bogart, your host. Quitting trying to make it all look perfect, make it look like a classroom, and really taking the leap and looking at my kids instead of looking at the list of everything we should cover, just looking into their eyes, you know, looking into my own heart of what I felt was best for them. You know, some of the best learning that has happened in my home was not my idea. It was the idea of a child. You're listening to season two of the Brave Writer podcast. This season, we're focused on what I call the Brave Writer lifestyle. I'm not talking about lifestyles of the rich and famous, more like lifestyles of the underfunded and messy, you know, families like yours, like mine. The Brave Writer lifestyle is all about creating a language-rich environment for your kids so that they're naturally drawn to not only writing, poetry, and reading great books, but also subjects like Shakespeare, art appreciation, and nature journaling. Even beyond those, we like to add things like tabletop gaming, movie viewing, and television. Oh my! (laughs) I interview Brave Writer parents each week who are just like you, And we get to hear both their struggles and their creativity in providing a wonderful homeschool life for their kids. I can't wait for you to meet this wide array of moms. So let's get started with this week's episode. Today, we have with us on the Brave Writer Lifestyle podcast, Angela Awald. And she is here to share with us her family experience of homeschooling and also a blog that she runs. She's a runner, a tea and smoothie lover a teacher, a writer, and a baseball fan. We have lots in common because Angela has five, uh, six kids, excuse me. She's certified teacher, writer, doula, and her blog is found at nurturedroots.net. Angela says her days are full of learning, loving, and laundry, lots and lots of laundry. (laughs) We're glad though to drag her away from the laundry room so she can share some of her wisdom with us today about how the Brave Writer lifestyle has impacted their homeschool. Welcome, Angela. Thank you for having me, Julie. I'm excited to be here. Oh, we're so excited to have you be here. So as a classroom teacher turned homeschooler, tell us a little bit about that journey. When did you find Brave Writer and how has that transition felt? Has it been a smooth one or a challenging one? Oh, well, the... The transition from classroom teacher to homeschooler was a lot trickier than I thought it would be. We never intended on homeschooling, but as we looked at um, schools and preschools for our oldest when he was, you know, three and four years old, nothing felt right. So we kind of stumbled upon homeschooling. And for many years, more than I'd like to say, we kind of tried to force some school at home. Yeah. And... It didn't work, of course. We, we had lots of tears on my part and my son's. And slowly over the years, I did lots of reading. And about two years ago, um, I came across the Brave Writer lifestyle and it clicked. Everything that I had read and felt in my heart just clicked when I read about it. That's amazing. Can you tell me a little bit when you say that, of course, the classroom at home failed? I know that sometimes we have listeners 
who are still stuck in that moment. They're sort of afraid to let go of the side of the pool and swim into the deep end, you know? So what was that transition? How did you discover that it was okay, that you weren't just failing in implementation, that this model somehow really wasn't the preferred model. How did you come to that conclusion? Uh, Lots of trial and error, first of all. Um, I actually wrote a post about it um, a couple of months ago about how quitting was my biggest victory. Quitting trying to make it all look perfect, make it look like a classroom, and really taking the leap and looking at my kids Instead of looking at the list of everything we should cover, just looking into their eyes, you know, looking into my own heart of what I felt was best for them. It was when I kind of put those two together and stopped trying to meet everybody else's standards that it all just came together. And we, I mean, we still have tough days and, you know, just like any other, if they were at school or anything, but the days just flow so much more smoothly because we are engaged and connected. I love that you use the language of flow and the feeling of things going smoothly. Can you describe a typical day for us? And I know there are no truly typical days, but what does flow look like in your family? So I was I was thinking about that um, recently, about how, how could I even put it into words as to what our days look like, because no two look alike. And I think that's what I love about the Brave Rider lifestyle is that I'm allowed to do that from this model. And I, and I think of it as a framework that, that allows a lot of grace and flexibility. Mm. So we have kind of, I, I have always come to think about like pegs in the day where there were certain things that got done at certain times, but the more children I've had, the less pegs I have. I kind of think of it as this beautiful mosaic now that there are certain things that do happen every day, but they don't always happen at the same time. We have our daily basket and I had to stop calling it our morning basket because it doesn't always happen in the morning. I love that. So now it's our daily basket, but they know that that's a time I say, okay, daily basket. And they all come running, even the 13-year-old. Can you describe a little bit about what is in the basket, what you mean by the basket for those who maybe haven't heard that language before. Sure. So for us, um, I try to have something in our daily basket that meets everybody's needs. It's one of those times of the day that I can give a little bit to everybody all at once. So I have a science-loving kid. So I try to have you know, um, either a science biography or a nonfiction book. We always have a piece of historical fiction going because everyone in our house loves uh, history. We watch a lot of documentaries together. Um, I think we've watched the um, Liberties Kids videos <laughs> on repeat for the past four months. So it's, it's all good. We might have an art book in there. It's kind of, if you were to look at our daily basket on any given day, you would have a good glimpse of what we're passionate about at that point in time. That's a really interesting way to think about it, that the basket represents a collection of passions. I really like that. And in this case, you're talking specifically about books that you're reading aloud. Are they read aloud or are some of them read privately or silently? We do them all aloud. I Because I have such a range in ages, my youngest is three, 
And like I said, my oldest is 13 and such a range of abilities within those children. I do all of the information and ideas that I want them to feast on. I read aloud to them. That's beautiful. I found that to be a wonderful model in my family. We did the same thing. I would collect a variety of books, not just one book, and we would read portions of them uh, each day going through several books at once. And I, I had the same experience as you. It was a way of bringing together this disparate group of children, all different ages and stages. So I love hearing that that worked for you as well. Uh, can you talk a little bit then about what happens when you're doing skill-based work and you have three, you know, multiple levels, three-year-old up to 13, trying to do copy work, for example? Um, so for copy work, that depends on the season we're in, I guess, and where everybody is at at that particular time. I plan it month by month. And when I say plan, I use that loosely. I have intentions of, I know where they're at and I know where they need to be. So I kind of set intentions of how I'd like to help them get from point A to point B. And at some given times, they will be working on different books and everybody sit down and do their own copy work from their own book. Um, recently, just for sake of collaborating and bringing a, you know more continuity and connection, we've been working through the Arrow books. And I will take the copywork section in the guide and my oldest two who are 11 and 13 will copy the entire passage. And then my next two boys who are seven and nine will copy a portion of it. And then my five-year-old will copy just a few words because he's just learning to read. And my three-year-old just writes her name over and over. <laughs> yeah, I think you also mentioned in email that she likes to doodle and play with the beginning of letter formations, which I think is yes. fabulous. I, I have shared on this podcast and in other settings that my daughter, Katrin, learned to write long before she learned to read. She spent hours scribbling, what we would call scribbling, only in her mind, she was writing. Uh, and slowly those quote unquote scribbles started to look like the alphabet and eventually became the alphabet and eventually became clusters of alphabet sequences that represented what would be words, except you couldn't read them because they were just her putting them together. But what I think happens if we treat writing as a skill to acquire, whether or not you can read, we give our kids this interesting opportunity to play with letter formation and participate just like the older kids. So I love hearing that you have a three-year-old who is doing copy work. I think that's fabulous. Yes. And she loves to participate in everything. I mean, she when we have poetry tea time, she writes her own poems, you know. Oh my goodness. What and she'll read them out loud to us or, you know. I'll find these little, you know, scrawled notes on my bed, which are, you know, are mostly scribbles. But if you ask her to read them, she will tell you what they say. It's quite fun. Oh, that's delightful. Now, you mentioned uh, something that you did with one of the recent arrows. Uh, you mentioned this in an email to me where you played with prepositions and prepositional phrases. Could you share that story with our listeners? Absolutely. It was kind of one of those just on the fly inspired moments that. I couldn't let pass up. Um, we were playing with prepositions and I was trying to get them to really grasp them, but also have, you know, an activity again that could bring us all together. 
So we keep a big box of magazines and catalogs and whatnot. So I had them go through and just start picking out photos that they liked. It could be their own, you know, passions again, returning to that idea. And we keep what we call our word work notebooks. So anything that we do um, separate from copy work, I keep that separate. Um, anything that we do with spelling or you know, playing with words, endings, that kind of thing goes into this notebook. And so they would cut out their photos and then they would start playing with the prepositions. Mm. So my daughter chose one that was, you know, this hoodie sweatshirt that had all these patches all over it. And if you were to see this picture, it was this bright, colorful sweatshirt, which just represents my daughter. It's exactly who she is. <laughs> and her statement about it that she wrote underneath was, the colors are layered upon each other. So they would write it underneath and then they would circle or you know put stars around the prepositions. So it really helped them to have this hands-on, tangible way of seeing prepositions from their own creation. That is perfect. I love the thought that they are using something like a magazine. Sometimes we disqualify certain tools in our house as being not schoolish. And yet a magazine is a perfectly valid source of good material. You've got font colors and images and different styles of typeface that help actually enhance a child's relationship to the vocabulary on the page. That's a great idea. I hope other people will try that in their homes. Uh, I also love that you have something that you do on Thursday mornings. Can you tell us about that? Thursday morning is our Poetry in Pajamas Day, um, which so is good. born out of poetry tea time. And it's poetry in pajamas for a couple of reasons. One, we are slow starters in the morning lately. And if I wait for everybody to get dressed in the day, it might be bedtime again. So we stay in our pajamas. I make something, you know, extra special for breakfast. And we pile our poetry books on the table. And, you know, we, in, we enjoy our, our treats and our poems. And then I usually provide some sort of art project or writing or nature study, something to go along with whatever theme we're exploring that day. That's great. How do your kids respond to that? Everyone loves it. There's a few that I think might just show up for the food. But that's okay with me. They're hearing it. They're listening. And I know that deep down, they truly love it. You know, especially my 13-year-old who recently was heard in the back. We have a big Suburban because there's so many of us. And from the back seat, he yells, hey, mom, when is the next poetry tea time? And I said, well, Thursday morning. Why is that? I think I found a poem I want to share. Oh, I love it. So even though he might not outwardly show you that he's really excited about this, other than the fact that he gets some really good food, he is really soaking it up. It's like you're creating an opportunity for him to participate if he wants to. And what happens then is he makes some kind of a connection outside of that time. And he knows that there's this routine that is in place 
where he'll be able to express that. I think that's one of the really nice things about routine versus inspiration. You know, we talk sometimes about following an inspiration and here you are sharing about poetry in pajamas. Like that's a very inspired idea to pair it with breakfast, to stay in your pajamas, to sort of bring this all together. But then also knowing that this happens on a predictable basis allows even the reluctant children to sort of keep it in the back of their minds. It's almost like it's doing its work invisibly inside your children. You don't even know it. So good. So, so good. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I approached Poetry Tea Time that way from the beginning because I knew the value of it. And I didn't want it to be forced on them. I wanted it to be something that they willingly took part in. And so far, that has been the experience. Not always, but we try and make it fun. We recently had an insect-inspired poetry tea time. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Uh, Because I have my seven-year-old who loves science. And I have to admit, I'm not the most science sciencey person, for lack of a better word. So it... I was looking for a way to kind of blend this into our week. And so we had our um, science insect edition poetry tea time and they just got so goofy. I mean, by the time we were done, we had invented, um, they had invented different um, insects of their own. We had the stomach bug (laughs) who had a whole poem written over that. And they had recently got over the Coxsackie virus, which is the hand, foot and mouth. Oh, wow. Virus. So we had the Coxsackie bug who had a very nasty poem written about her (laughs) to reflect their own experience. So it was quite fun. Oh my gosh, that's fabulous. I love it. That is so much fun. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is because you do tend to follow on some level this inspired style of homeschooling, uh, what do you think about planning? Are there ways to bring this inspired lifestyle into some kind of a plan for those who prefer to have a plan? Like I said before, I try to think of it as intentions. As soon as I say the word plan, I automatically become rigid Mm. um, in my own thinking. So I try to think of it as, you know, I'm writing myself a guide, more like these are the things I want to remember that I want to want to do. Because Let's be honest, when we're homeschooling our families, whether you have one kid or six, we get busy and we forget what we want to do. So I had actually created from the Brave Writer Lifestyle, my own like visual planning guide um, that I have at the front of my notebook where I write my ideas of what I want to cover over the month. And... Um, I refer to it at the beginning of every month to see, okay, where are we right now? Do we need more science? Do we need more art? Are we feeling kind of stuck or are things going great? So that way I know um, what it is I need to, how I can respond to the needs of my family. That's really a great idea. I like that. So I think you can make a plan. I think the key to it is knowing that you need to be flexible. Yes. you. I have read that you say the keys to homeschooling are an open mind, a spirit of adventure, flexibility, and love. Oh my goodness. I love all four of those. So open mind, want to comment on each one? What would you say the definition of an open mind is when you're homeschooling? Um, an open mind, I think, is just being, lack of a better word, open to the other 
ideas that might pop up to the input of our children. Mm. You know, some of the best learning that has happened in my home was not my idea. <laughs> it was the idea of a child. I, you know, I have a struggling reader who last year decided um, he wanted to write a book about baseball because he is completely into baseball. He taught me to love baseball. And it was his idea. And if I hadn't been open to that, he, you know, that idea may have gotten shut down and he would have missed out on a lot of learning and we would have missed out on some great connection. I love that. Tell me a little more about him. He's a struggling reader. So how do you help him? Uh, He is a struggling reader. So I am a trained reading teacher, which has helped me and hindered me in the same breath. Um, So for him, I have to have this balance between letting go of my intention for him and still holding the space. Mm. Um, And by that, I mean really giving him ownership over his education and learning to read, but also kind of providing him the tools that he needs to help him along the way, kind of scaffolding him and putting the next stepping stone in front of him so that he can keep moving at his own pace. And do you feel he's responding well to that? I do. We, you know, we have ebbs and flows. There are times when, you know, he's just not into copy work. You know, it's, it's really laborious for him. So we'll change it up. I will take all of the words and um, knowing that my intention is for him to learn to read them and, you know, pay attention to the mechanics and things. It's not important to me that he's actually physically copying them. I will take and copy them onto separate word cards and he'll maneuver them. Yes. Um, so that they match the written text. Um, and then he comes up with his own ideas. And, you know, yesterday is a great example. We were copying from an Amelia Bedelia book and he was not having it. It just was not holding his interest. He wanted to write a different story. So we ended up spending an entire hour on writing this other story that he had in mind that stemmed from the first two lines of copy work. Wow. Yes. And if I hadn't been open to it, then it would have been another lost opportunity. That's a great example of having an open mind to your child. What do you mean by a spirit of adventure? Um, A spirit of adventure, I think, means just being willing to step outside of our own comfort zone. I hated baseball (laughs) as of like three years ago. I thought it was the most boring sport. but. I will admit that I stayed up on many nights to watch the end of the World Series games, you know, even after the kids had gone to bed. So I think being open to the things that our kids can teach us, the things that the world has to offer, um, and not being afraid to, you know, go out there and experience it. And so that seems to naturally lead to this idea of flexibility. You have to be willing, don't you, to give up your plan for the day or to adjust your expectations. Uh, Is that what you meant when you said flexibility? Absolutely. The fact that I have six children, that is the biggest (laughs) joke of our house because before we had children, I was very, you know, by the book, you know, you start at point A, you go to point B, there's no detour. Well, 
I have learned that that just doesn't work anymore. So (laughs) flexibility is the name of the game around here. That's awesome. And then of course, finally, you said the final key to homeschooling is love. Yes. If if all else fails, or even if it's all going well, just love them. That's all you can do. And it all works out in the end. The gateway drug to the Brave Writer lifestyle has to be poetry tea time. You can start that wonderful, soothing practice with your kids right now. Visit our website, poetryteatime.com, for oodles of ideas. While you're there, download our free quick start guide. It gives you all the information you need to begin. You can follow our Poetry Tea Time social media accounts too while you're at it. We're on Twitter and Instagram under the account name at Poetry Tea Time and on Facebook.com slash Poetry Tea Time Families. You know, it sometimes almost feels like a cliche when we talk about love that way. And yet how difficult it is to actually implement when you are faced with the responsibility and challenge of parenting, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And when you add that homeschooling dynamic to it and you feel the burden, sometimes it feels like a burden, sometimes it feels like a joy, but um, the burden of being solely responsible for their education. Yes, we can get into this crisis mode of, oh no, they're not meeting the standard of, you know, the state curriculum or, you know, what their grandmother thinks that they need to know, you know, whomever. Um, We get into that crisis mode and we think that it's an emergency all of a sudden. So if we just keep focusing on the love that we have for that child who's right in front of us, it, it puts everything into perspective. Are you experiencing any anxiety about the coming teen years since you've just entered into the teenage category? How are you dealing with this transition from young children, middle school to the dawn of high school? Yeah, um, I I can say that I fully panicked last year. (laughs) Um, I will say that with all honesty, because I think we all do at some point. And I want everyone to know that that's okay. So our oldest decided last year, partway through seventh grade, that he wanted to attend school this year for eighth grade, which was not the plan. The plan was ninth grade. And I, you know, was kind of dumbfounded for a little while. But once I recovered, we, you know, talked and decided that, okay, this is his education. The whole point of homeschooling for us, um, the biggest picture was that we wanted them to have ownership over their education, whatever that may be. And here he was at 12 years old, um, taking ownership of his education, Mm. willing to research schools, willing to look at, you know, online classes, willing to do the work to decide what was best for him. So long story short, it didn't work out for him to go to school because of transportation and whatnot, um, because the school he chose was um, quite a drive and the, the transportation didn't work, but we revisit it regularly. And, you know, I always have that feeling of, okay, if he wants to go to school next year, we need to do this, this, and this to make sure that he is ready. And then I take all of that worry and I put it on him and then he shuts down and then I get mad and then he gets mad and then we just, you know, we have to walk away. So 
I think we, we've gone through this, you know, two or three times now. So I, I think that I've calmed myself to know that it's all going to be okay. It's not an emergency. His education is his own. I'm there to guide him. And whatever decision he makes year to year, we'll be there just like we always have been. So he's got the tools he needs and he'll be able to learn and do what he needs to do for his own goals. That's really beautiful. I love this notion that your underlying goal in home education is for the child to grow in their own self-awareness about taking responsibility for their education. You know, I don't think we always think about that as the goal. We think our goal is to get them into college. We think our goal is to get them through high school. And yet, if we really pause and we talk about this desire we have for our kids to be self-directed learners and to be the person who owns the educational journey, then we really do have to open up at the point that a child expresses a very different desire than maybe the one we had for them. So thanks for sharing that. I think that's a very unusual story to share in a homeschool podcast, and yet it's something that resonates with me. I mean, I had several kids go to high school, a couple who did a little part-time high school. And I think being responsive to our children's tentative steps toward independence and self-care and self-awareness is all a part of that homeschool journey. So thanks for that. That was great. Uh, What would you say to a new homeschool parent that you wish you had known when you started? Oh, there's a, probably a really long list for that answer. Um, <laughs> but to sum it up, um, I think the biggest lesson I've learned is to look within myself and within my own family. Learn everything that you can and read everything that you can. But when at the end of the day, look at yourself. What are the need, What are your needs? What are the needs of your family? And do it your way. Like I said before, when I quit trying to meet everybody else's needs outside of my family, everybody else's expectations, that was when things started to click. Um, So just really be clear with what your own intentions are and know that they're going to change because your family today is going to be different three months from now. You know, I'm constantly reevaluating where things are. And that's why I don't like to set my intentions or plan more than a month, maybe two at a time, so that I can have that flexibility like we talked about, so that I don't feel boxed in, so that I'm always being responsive and present and intentional with our education. Because what it comes down to is that our my education with my children, the education we're getting together is about our relationship and their relationship to learning, our relationship with each other. And if you keep that at the center, I think that you'll have an amazing homeschool journey. What would you consider your greatest accomplishment then in homeschooling so far? I think just getting to the point where I'm okay with the fact that we do things our own way. I like to say I'm a recovering people pleaser. (laughs) So to be able to say that I'm okay that I do it differently. I'm okay that we don't do science experiments every week or every month. I'm okay that, you know, we do things kind of on a whim once in a while. And we 
we have our own way of approaching things and it doesn't look linear. It doesn't look like I ever imagined it would look. Mm. But like I said, the mosaic that's coming together from all of these pieces that we're putting in, the poetry tea time, the, the copy work, watching movies every week together and having discussions. Mm. You know, all of these pieces that are coming together are making the most beautiful picture that if I had tried to plan it out, wouldn't be nearly as beautiful. I love the use of the image of a mosaic because we really are talking about taking individual, I don't know, even misshapen pieces and fitting them together to create a bigger, more beautiful, even clearer picture. Sometimes when we're drilled down into the nitty gritty specific, it's so hard to see sort of the lasting value or how it's contributing to a well-rounded, educated person. But if we see each of these events, each of these moments in time where we're devoted to our kids and we see them deeply invested, we can be confident that eventually that little piece will find its right place in the overall picture of what our homeschool will turn out to be. So thank you for that image. That's something I'll definitely take with me out of our conversation, Angela. It's a really beautiful one. Thank you. So you run a blog that supports homeschoolers called nurturedroots.net. And you like to blog there about some specific topics. Are there some printables available for our listeners that you would like to tell them about? Yeah, I have um, quite a few things um, over there. I have a Brave Writer inspired planning guide, which um, is really just a one page sheet that kind of lists all of the Elements of Brave Writer. Nice. So I, I think of it as my menu. What do, what does our family need to eat today or <laughs> this month? A couple of years ago, I had created. Um, we were kind of in a read aloud rut, so I had created um, a list of ideas and topics for us to explore new genres and books and things from the library, and that's called the Big Book Pile Up, and it was a, it's thirty days of reading. Wow, that's great ideas. Yeah, um, and just so, just a few other little things. Most of them you can find um, right on my Pinterest page, um, which is also Nurtured Roots. I've got a list of the the twenty literary devices that I want my kids to know before they leave my house. Fabulous, and, you know, love it. Grammar skills that I want them to know. So those kinds of things, just really simple, easy things that you know, you can take and tailor to what your family needs and know that, you know, whatever you take from it is, is good stuff. So where do you like to play the most though? Are you more of an Instagrammer, a Facebook person, blogger, Pinterest, which is your favorite one? For like really sharing my thoughts, the blog is is the one place where I, I like to be. It helps me to think through. It, if you see a blog post, you know that I have really given a lot of time to thinking through and reflecting on where I am and what I want to share with other people. That's great. I do love Instagram. I love that it's simple and people can see a picture and get some inspiration right away. Me too. That's awesome. So people can follow you on Instagram at Angela Nurtured Roots, correct? Yes. Yes. And we will put all of these details in the show notes from this podcast so that you can connect with Angela in any way that you like. 
Is there anything you'd like to leave us with, Angela? A little piece of advice, a little story, anything that we didn't get to? Well, I just want to say thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Even just preparing for this has helped me to reflect on you know, where we are in our own homeschool journey and really made me proud of you know, what my family and I have built together. I, that is such a wonderful sentence. And I just want to pause and mark it that reflecting on your experience helps you to experience pride. You know, sometimes we are so future-oriented, so worried about what we haven't done, we don't pause to just take stock of how much we've accomplished. And homeschooling is this ongoing series of accomplishments. You know, I like to compare it to pearls on a string, beads on a string. You may not see every single day going smoothly with unending joy, but within that one day, moments in time are achieving your goals. And if we can pause long enough to pay attention to what those are and then see the sort of beautiful necklace it's creating of these moments in time strung together over time, we do get to the point where we feel that pride and that joy. So that's, for me, the gold out of this whole experience is hearing you acknowledge that and recognize that. How many years have you been homeschooling? Do you Have you counted it up? Well, that was a hard question to answer when I was trying to think of it because we really consider ourselves unintentional homeschoolers from the beginning. Yeah. Um, our, our biggest goal was that they would, you know, be lifelong learners. And so from the beginning of our, you know, our first son was born and we were reading to him and helping him experience the world. So he will be 14 in May. I love it. You know, it's funny because I tell people that we homeschooled for 17 years because I usually mark it from what a typical kindergartner would have, you know, been right. entering school. But the the transition was seamless. There was no school start date. We had done just what you had done. We'd been reading to Noah since he was in the uterus, you know, like this was our lifestyle. I was a La Leche League leader and a very involved nurturing kind of parent. And if you count preschool years, I mean, we did all the things that a preschool would do, I suppose, but we did them at home. We baked cookies. We played with Play-Doh. We went to the library. We went on nature walks. We did all those things. And so I actually like hearing you say that. I think, you know, for some of us who are lifers, it really does start at birth or even in utero where this, you have this intentional shaping of your child's educational future that goes all the way back to the beginning. So that's beautiful. Uh, I know you also are a doula. And just for fun, because I'm such mm -hmm. a nut about home births <laughs> and birth. <laughs> Tell me your favorite story about being a doula. Oh my gosh. Oh, my favorite story about being a doula. Oh, there's so many. I can imagine. There's, oh, I think, you know, the same one over and over. It's just watching these women um, who think that they are about to fall apart, find their strength and bring their child into the world. There's nothing greater than being a witness to that. And I cry every time, every single time. Oh my gosh. I just got chills when you said that because not only was that my experience of birth and I'm a lucky one, I had five good natural home births. But when you said that, I immediately thought of homeschooling because that is my single greatest joy sitting in this chair 
is watching mothers who are about to fall apart suddenly find their peace and their strength in homeschool. Do you see a parallel there as we're talking today? Absolutely. You know, I have a very interesting birth history myself. Um, my first two children were um, born via cesarean. And then my last four were, you know, natural, unmedicated natural births. Wow. And with each of them, their births were exactly what they needed to be for at the time for where I was in my own life. And my last birth was this fast and furious birth. <gasps> I had one of those. <laughs> You know, we almost didn't make it there. She was almost born in the car. And I, at the end of the day, reflecting on it, I looked at my husband and I said, if I can handle that, I can handle anything. And that has followed me through all of my homeschooling, all of my life so far. It's like, if I can handle the overwhelming stress of a moment like that, where you feel like everything is out of control, and you can't do anything about it, you can handle anything. Gosh, that is such a good note to end on because all of us have either given birth or have gone through the grueling adoption process, you mm -hmm. know, to bring this child into our families. And both of those experiences reveal to us our own strength and our own inner resource. And that's what gets us through homeschooling. It's the same depth, the same fierce commitment, the same belief in our vision for what family could be that helps us to do the homeschooling experience. Really, we need to be doulas for homeschool. <laughs> I think absolutely. I think that's what you're doing, right? Isn't that basically what Nurtured Roots is all about? You're a doula for homeschool parents. It is. I, and I chose the name very carefully because I feel like if we nurture ourselves and our families, those are our roots and that's what is going to change the world. Oh, well, this has been exquisite. Thank you so much, Angela, for joining us. I loved everything you shared. I think there's so much meaning here for parents who are new to homeschooling, but then also those who are sort of stuck in a rut or at that critical moment of high school, like, oh no, what comes next? So thank you for sharing about your family. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I never tire of hearing about the ways families interpret the Brave Writer lifestyle for themselves. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I hope you'll leave us a review in iTunes. Reviews help other families like yours find us. So thanks in advance. If you'd like to learn more about the Brave Writer lifestyle, visit our website, bravewriter.com slash BWL. We've dedicated an entire section of the website to providing resources and ideas for the investigation of Shakespeare, reading aloud, poetry, art appreciation, nature journaling, copywork, and more. Check it out. It's all free. Bravewriter.com slash B-W-L. Well, I hope your dishes are done or your laundry's folded or maybe you just finished a long run. Good for you. I look forward to our next conversation and spending that time with you again next week. Until then, live honestly, write bravely. I'm Julie Bogart from Brave Writer, the writing and language arts program for families like yours.